The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. What's up, guys? Kel Charles McMurray here, and you are listening to Girls Talking Boys in partnership with SB Nation. As always, hello. Oh, hello there, guys. Today we have someone uh, here with us to tell us, does Matt rule? <laughs> I knew you were going to have some sort of line, and I just wasn't Been thinking about it all day. <laughs> <laughs> it's good. It's good. <laughs> get better every time. Uh, yes, Megan is correct. We actually decided to take a peek behind the curtain. We do have a former player of Matt Rule from the collegiate level when he was at Baylor. We know he did some great things there. Uh, O-lineman Blake Blackmar joining us. Blake, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Um, We are pumped to have you, and I'm just grateful that you are taking the time. I am super pumped about this because I just... I have to kind of dive in with you because this I'm seeing an emergence of some of these younger coaches in the NFL. Right. And it's, you know, you always hear about the, the Kingsbury's and the, and just all right. the younger guys doing big things. And I feel like Matt rule is a little bit on the higher end of that in terms of, and I'm not going to totally his age, but he kind of fits that bill in terms of the young, innovative type of coach that has just really been, you know, taking over the league. And, and so I want to get your thoughts and get a little bit of a behind the scenes look on who this guy really is, because you look at what he did at Baylor, like, right. So you were, you spent your entire mm-hmm. collegiate career there and, and it, you know, obviously the art, our browse era, we knew that was a successful time period, at least football wise. And then you kind of, it's, it's this drop off and, and rule comes in and three years later, he's winning Big 12 Coach of the Year. You guys are tied atop the Big 12, you know, in the standings. And uh, unfortunately, the Oklahoma had something to say about that. But still, like, it, it's, <laughs> it's an incredible trajectory that this man has been able to come in and take over programs. And, and I can't help but make some potential early initial comparisons to what he might be able to do in Carolina with they're already 3-0. So, I just would love to kind of get your thoughts on, on rule in general and, and hear what your experience was like working working and playing for him. Yeah. So it was interesting I, in that opening statement you made about me, a younger and innovative coach. I think he would love to hear you call him young, but he'd probably <laughs> bristle about you saying that he was kind of innovative or new school because he's all about 
uh, old school stuff. He played at Penn State, right? He was a he was a walk on at Penn State that eventually became a captain and got a little bit of playing time. And that's like, you know, he he embraced that Penn State Joe Paterno philosophy of we're gonna lift heavy, we're gonna hit hard, and we're gonna run the ball and took it and ran with it. You bounced around. Uh, you know, you can look up his career path, but when he came to Baylor, he was he, he's a big culture guy, right? He wants to, he's not a scheme guy. He doesn't get tied up in uh, offensive scheme, defensive scheme. He has, he hires great people and lets them do their job, but he's all about building the culture and the culture he wants to build and instill in everyone is that kind of old school, get the job done, you know, that kind of mentality. Much, he's probably, the polar opposite of Cliff Kingsbury wow. uh, in that regard. And so that was a, that was just kind of what I picked up in that opening statement. But I, uh, I, so, and I think I have a bit of a unique perspective because I did the full gamut at Baylor where I came in my freshman year, won a big 12 championship uh, with Bryles, did two years with Bryles, one year with Grove, the interim guy, and then two years with coach rule. And it was, uh, when he came in, it was it was tough because it was we were very used to uh, doing the kind of new, innovative, you know, no huddle offense, all about speed, score a million points a game, uh, don't really worry about defense too much with Bryles, and we're very successful in it. And then Coach Rule came in, and we were pretty much doing double the work and getting one fifth the result until uh, it kind of. So you have some buy-in, you know, those first, whenever you have a new coach come in, he's got, you got to weed out people. You got to see who's going to commit and it's tough and it sucks, but it was, it bared, bared fruits and showed dividends. So I think it, from that aspect, I know that it was interesting to see how you're going to, cause you can't really do that at the NFL level. You try to go tell a 32 year old three-time all pro guy that, oh, we're going to do Oklahoma drill. He's going to laugh at you and, you know, tell you to piss off. So it's uh, <laughs> definitely – I think there's definitely some uh, some adaptation he had to ch- – you know, some ad- changes he had to make when he jumped to the NFL level. But he's, he's doing something right. I actually want to dive into that a little bit more because, um, you know, I'd love to hear a little bit more about his coaching style because obviously, again, like he's had to take over these programs from – you know, coaches, again, like I'm speaking solely from the perspective of just like coaching talent. Obviously, Browse was, had a lot of success at Baylor in that regard. Mm-hmm. And you've got Ron Rivera, who I know at the end it was rough, but at the, he, at the end of the day, like he's a well-respected coach and he's done pretty darn well in, in Washington. So we know yeah, he's yeah. doing something right. So, but, but in terms of his style, you kind of mentioned the whole weeding people out and things like that. Do you feel like that's kind of like the three-year trajectory that, you know, people are like, give it three years to kind of let the program sink in where, you know, last year he took over as a head coach. And, and obviously again, like you can't expect immediate success, but like now they seem like they're getting a bit of a groove. They got Darnold in the building and, and it's, you know, they just did a trade for CJ, CJ Henderson. Um, their defense is on fire right now. I mean, it feels like things are starting to click a little bit, maybe even faster, dare I say, well, I guess. And then in the collegiate level. Yeah, so Coach Rule is kind of he, – he's a culture guy, right? And part of that culture is very much defense-oriented. Mm-hmm. So Phil Snow has been his defensive coordinator for a long time. 
Uh, and you can look at when he came to Baylor and when he came, went to Carolina, he sold, he sold those programs on, look, this isn't like a quick fix. And so Baylor gave him a big, long contract. Carolina gave him a long contract, uh, which I don't, I don't know what those contracts look like compared to other new head coaches. But when he came into Baylor, that was a big part of the, uh, what he was preaching is he says, this isn't going to be an immediate quick fix. Fix. This isn't flashy. We're going to change the culture. We're going to change the foundations of the building. Uh, and success might not be right around the corner. We're going to do everything possible to win as many games as possible, but we're going to do it my way. And so uh, that's kind of – that mentality doesn't necessarily breed uh, instant success, but it doesn't surprise me that their defense is doing well because he is – you know, it's defense first. He'll, he'll, bring, he'll bring in someone offensively that will – be creative and everything, but if he has a quarterback, it's all part, you know, in college, he had a big plan to win, right? And the biggest part of that plan to win is win the turnover battle and play defense in the fourth quarter. And so he's going to start with those two things. If, if you have a quarterback that you don't have to make a bunch of crazy plays, but you don't turn over the ball and you play good defense and you can run the ball, you're probably, that's a that's a set, that's a recipe for success. So I think his first draft in Carolina when he was just hired was the old, he took all defensive players. Mm-hmm. He's an uh, defensive player. I know. Yeah. Stay mad about Sertan. <laughs> or no, the CJ CJ. Excuse me. Yeah. 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 We're still we're, we're still salty about that. Don't mind us. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I think that it's. You know, he tries to – he keeps it pretty simple. And eventually, you know, because he's a, he's a great speaker, if he wasn't a great, great coach, he'd have been a great salesman, you know, because he, he – and he loves digging into the, the mentality of how, you, you know, people who operate at very elite levels think because it's different than, than most people. And so he dives into that and he embraces that and tries to instill it to everyone else. So once you get – people buy into it i think it's uh i think people will start doing those things that a year year and a half ago they might have been they want they might have told you forget about it i'm not doing that but you start buying into that mentality think and everything and you, it's starting to bear fruit yeah okay uh, on air correction of course i just said cj henderson and that's why i was thinking about him jc horn is who i meant to say it's what it's fine. Yep. words are hard for me today, apparently, <laughs> um, it's totally fine. But I kind of want to—I want to dive into that defensive first mindset. Do you do you credit that to be his old school mentality, and 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 you know that's kind of why he leads with that thought process first? I would I would say so. I mean, he was—I think he was a defensive end at uh, at Penn State. Yep. But uh, I mean, he was. Uh, he played defense. He, his first NFL experience was actually as an offensive line coach, and he used to come coach us in, uh, in the offensive line all the time when I was there. But I think he definitely he goes defensive first because that's the I think that's the most it, it connects with that old school thought process, and it ties into his plan to win more readily than scoring a bunch of points. Sounds like someone told him defense wins championships and he took it to heart. <laughs> pretty, pretty much. 
So you played a league, you played in the league for a year uh, with Chicago. Mm-hmm. And, and so you've, you've personally at least seen the transition from college to pro, which is exactly what Matt rule is doing himself right now. How big of a difference, and I'm not sure how closely you pay attention to, you know, his, his teams since he's made that jump, but how closely do you feel like the, the, the leagues mirror each other and what are the biggest changes in your mind that just simply don't translate from one level to another? Um, I think the most challenging thing between the two of them, and I think this is probably pretty different based on what, you know, what team you're on in the NFL, but uh, in college you have so much more control as a head coach over the players and the scheduling and everything. Whereas the NFL, you're dealing with grown men who it's, you know, what they do on their own time is, you know, their responsibility. Right. So I think in that aspect, it's a, it's a step back and probably a, like a a breath for coach rule to, because when you're at, when you're a college football coach, you're the football coach 90% of the time and 10% of the time you're a babysitter because you've got, (laughs) You know, that's just kind of, that's the way it is. Sure. And so I think now you don't have to deal with recruiting. You don't have to go uh, kiss 18 year olds asses and try and convince them to come here. You can just, (laughs) you just leave it up to work at the gym and throw (laughs) money at them and say, there's, there's, you know, here's a couple million reasons why you should want to come play here. (laughs) And so I think being able to take that step back, uh, is something coach rule is going is really enjoying from a player's perspective playing for coach Rule, i think that you also have to start taking a little bit of the uh the physicality and grind out of your off-season program and practice because that was that was a big staple of uh at baylor and basically the argument whenever anyone started complaining of why do we? Why are we doing so much contact practice? Why are we doing X, Y, Z? It's well, they do this at Alabama, and do you see anyone criticizing Nick Saban? And so, and because that's the easiest, that's the easiest answer, you know. Sure. But at the same time, Nick Saban uh, did a stint in the NFL, and it didn't go very well. And you know, so word, word around the campfire was he came in basically with the same uh, kind of that mentality he had at LSU and they're going to be super physical. And he, I think he was Jason Taylor, the defensive end who was defensive player of the year, uh, the year before and didn't practice one time because he was so, uh, he was so jacked up with injuries, but just made it through the week and played in the game and defensive player of the year that year. So he was, I think he got into Jason Taylor's face or something and, just got, you know, it was all in house, but basically Jason Taylor popped Nick Saban in the chest or something and told him to sit down. Uh, and so it's that kind of mentality of you can't, you can't bring that, oh, we're just going to hit super hard and do Oklahoma drill and we're just going to practice and be physical so, you know, so much that it's going to translate through into the game because there's not enough, not enough roster spots. It's too much money in play. You're not going to be able to do that. And so being able to find that balance of still keeping your edge and playing physically, but not overdoing it at practice so that you're hindering yourself going into the game is the fine line that you have to walk as a coach 
and it's the the first it's the thing that gets most young players cut especially undrafted guys getting around the quarterback you know because you're an undrafted guy going to the pros you're just going to try to hustle and do everything right and because you you odds are you're not going to you won't have even gotten to that spot if on talent alone so they're but you know they're playing super hard trying to get around the quarterback especially defensive guys and if you get around that if you get within a two-yard bubble that quarterback and his hand comes down on your helmet or something I've seen guys get cut right there for that wow so it's uh I say the hardest transition for probably a coach and a player is trying to find that middle ground of showing what you can do, being physical and all that stuff without overdoing it at practice. So let me ask you this. Uh, I don't know, you know, do you feel like is, did did coach rule ever subscribe to any of the analytics trends that we're seeing right now? I know this is kind of a, it's been around for a minute and I'm not sure if that fits into his old school mentality or if he's like, Hey, listen, at its core, we will stay old school, but we will acknowledge technology at the same time. And I'd even love to get your thoughts too on, because again, like we're seeing people make moves in game and make adjustments that are solely based off of analytics and the probability of something. And it just, I can imagine that's a really interesting place to be, especially as a player on the receiving end, when your coach calls down something and you're like, wait, what? And I, I just, I, I feel like that's just a totally interesting perspective I'd love to get your take on yeah so I don't know exactly what analytics uh you know maybe in-game analytics you're referring to but I'll tell you that rule is a big believer and if if you can prove it to him that it works he'll adopt it he's not he he wants to he has this old school mentality and that's what he wants to be I that's the identity he wants to carry but if you can prove that something works, he'll adopt it. The biggest uh, example of this is my buddy Andy Altoff, right? He's the strength coach with the Panthers now. He was the strength coach at Baylor, and he was the head of uh, sports science when when came to Baylor. And so he was doing all this heart rate monitoring, uh, had all these fancy machines that would test your muscle reactivity and uh, you know would monitor your sleep and show your recovery. And all this crazy stuff, right? Right. And Coach Rule came in and was kind of like, dude, like, why why are we doing this? Like, why are we spending money on this? And so he basically gave Altoff a month to kind of collect all this data, make a presentation, and give it to him and then the team. And Altoff's a super smart guy, good presenter. And he's been doing this. Uh, he did this all under Bryles. And so he got all this data and then showed sleep correlation with heart rate workout or, you know, correlated with heart rate and, and the intensity, you know, based on the intensity of different workouts then showed recovery and kind of how reactive like our hamstrings were, you know, depending on all those factors and explained it all. And from that moment in coach rule bought it and I was like, okay, this guy, this guy knows what he's talking about. Show me the numbers. It works. Okay. I've referenced coach rules plan to win a couple of times and it's, he simplified it the second year, but the first year, I think it was like, there's like seven principles. And, you know, it's like when the, uh, you know, rush for 200 yards, 
uh, win the turnover battle, uh, shut out in the fourth quarter defensively, um, and there's a couple others. And it's if you hit all seven of those marks, you have a hundred percent win rate. No, no one in the NFL has ever uh, won a game and lost, uh, or or won, no one has ever lost a game in the NFL or college and won every single one of those measurables. So the second year, he reduced it down to three. They get three rules that give you like a 98% chance of winning. And so he's definitely – now it doesn't – I don't think it necessarily drives his play calling because he's not the play caller. He's He is relying on uh, his staff to make – to be the play caller. But that definitely the analytics and all that stuff drives his – mentality and weekly decisions and how he sets up kind of the thought process of the team. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity, but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school That might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. That is fascinating. So are the three that he, he narrowed it down to in the final two years? Rush 200 yards, win the turnover battle, and shut shut out in the fourth quarter defensively. I trying to remember. We had to memorize so much crap uh, <laughs> for him. But it all gets blurred, but I'm pretty sure those were the big three. Um, it was definitely shut out in the fourth quarter, win the turnover battle, and I want to say the first the first one was rushed for 200 yards, but I uh I might be I might be pulling that from the year before. Yeah, that's so interesting. And I just think it's fascinating to see the combination of, you know, those those two mentalities colliding and I I agree with you. I feel like I personally even though I am in grad school and I've taken statistics, I am still I I don't know, like I feel like there's a part of me that is a bit old school where I'm like, "Oh, it makes me nervous to just say the computer says so." And you know, hand over <laughs> the reins to a computer entirely. So I, I like that well, the, thing. Prove it to me. The in, yeah, the, the interesting thing is you can take those data and that analytics, and then you can look at the real world examples that it's portraying and say, okay, well, it makes sense. You know, if you run the ball for 200 yards and you have a defensive shutout in the fourth quarter, that means you're probably winning the time of possession. That leads to so many other measurables that you've won so many other aspects that you've won. That means your offensive line is doing well. I mean, you can run the ball to set up the play action pass to then hit the deep ball. 
that means your defense is playing well. If they have a shutout in the fourth quarter, you know, that's, that it's like there's all these different statistics that you can add on to that. That it's like, well, once you simplify it down to those three things, it seems pretty simple, but you can extrapolate it out into a whole football game and see that you can easily see where if you hit those three things, you can easily win a football game. Mm-hmm. That's fascinating. Okay, I want to dive into the O-line a little bit, but I do want to get one quick question about college before we move into just O-line play since I yeah, like sure. have expertise. But you, you talk, I've, I've personally been interested in this because obviously with the new NIL ruling and the name image likeness this past summer, um, you know, there's always been a concept of control with coaching in college versus pro, right? And you've seen right. guys like a Saban who we know he is just such a legend, right? And then he goes mm-hmm. to Miami and just falls flat. And you're like, what happened? And who knows what's going to happen with Urban Meyer? I mean, obviously, Rule is making a nice transition so far. But do you feel like that sense of control is eliminated or at least lessened with the, the introduction of NIL and the ability for players to make money now in the college level? Yes, I think that it's definitely going to turn into the wild west. Um, <laughs> you know, you're going to have, it's, yeah, you know, I was, when I was playing, I think it, you know, the most I ever got was someone bought me dinner once and it was like, Ooh, don't tell anyone. <laughs> but, but, uh, you know, it's kind of like, it's, gr- it's great. And it's also terrible at the same time, because now you like, because it was just, it was basically forced on the NCAA. So there were no, there were no real restrictions put in place. There was no planning. There's, I know there's some way that they can vet like NIL opportunities or whatever, but it's still, it's like, it's, it's, I just think it's going to get gross when you have, you know, you got, you can have a guy making a hundred grand or something as coming in as a recruit. And then he might not play, and then you're also going to have all these guys who are recruits and college kids. They're going to get agents to handle their uh, advertising or NIL stuff if they're getting enough money from that. And then the agent, there's not like when you haven't get an agent to go to the NFL, there's a ton of rules. There's there's maximums on what the agent can take out of your contract. And it's like 3%. When you're dealing with your same agent that only gets three percent of your football contract, if you get a deal with Nike or something, he can take up to fifteen percent of that contract. So that you know, and so then like you're gonna have a whole bunch of guys that are young kids who might not be from very, might not have a good history or educational money, right. and now you're gonna have guys taking taking advantage of them. Yeah. taking money out of their pocket, then they're going to have to pay taxes. They've probably never paid taxes before. And if you're making over X amount of money, that's, you know, that could be 40%. That could, they're like the, that could be 40% of your income right there gone. And you might, so it's, I think it's going to get a, it's going to get a little muddy. Yeah. And from a coaching perspective, then it's like, you know, there's no, with, with no real system in place, then I guess a lot, I'm hoping, that a lot of this doesn't just get dropped at their feet whenever it does get money because that tends to that tends to happen in college football because oh. you end up being the coach and the babysitter. Oh gosh, I didn't think about that. I mean, I was so I was down in Austin um, last week and I was talking 
just with some of the people around these athletics programs. And, and I, I, so a lot of people on the show know this, but for you, I work my nine to fives in sports marketing. I work sponsorships and this has been a, a, a passion point of mine because I too am concerned about people getting taken advantage of. Like when I worked for the Cowboys, I've watched these guys come in. And when I ran training camp, like people who are just coming out of the woodworks to try and take advantage of these guys at the NFL level. Right. And you have to right. be very cognizant of who you give access to. And, and, you know, because again, like, they're like, Oh, like I haven't seen you in 20 years. And then they finally, they want like X amount of dollars or this or that. And like, yeah. and you know, you want to, you've got these young kids who some, some of them are unfortunately in a position where, or unfortunately, and fortunately where they will be, taking care of their families financially. And you want, you know, you got to think about the guys that have trajectories that can go to the league versus ones that probably don't. So you don't want to not encourage them to make money, but you want them to make money in a smart way. And then you have to think about there's two number fives on the team, one that's on offense and one that's on defense. So how do you make sure that you're actually engaging with the right likeness? And, and like you said, like people getting, I'm even concerned about guys. Like I'm like, you need to form your own LLC. So like, if you ever got sued, like it's, they're coming for your LLC and not you, like all of these things that I think about, because as it is right now, the league is super predatory. Like you just said, and there's a, there's a top tier cream of the crop agents and and cream of the crop, you know, guys like, but let's be, let's face it. David Mulugeta is not going to call you and be representing you. (laughs) If you're, you know, the, I don't know, the second string D lineman, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't be able to have opportunities either. You just have to like, how do those guys be smart about it? So yeah, that's interesting. And then the other thing is you go, you go have your uncle or something represent you and he doesn't, you know, he doesn't know. And then it's, it can just get like, I'm all for getting something for your likeness. Right. Or, you know, using your name to make a little money. If I, if it, back in my day when I was in college, I would have been the face of Sweet Baby Ray's by now if, it, if I had it my way. <laughs> Let's retroactively but, do that. I'll help. I'll represent yeah. you. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go. No, but I mean, for your point, look at Vince Young. He has nothing. Oh, yeah. And, it, and it's because oh, yeah. he has a steakhouse or something. Yeah, man. I'm shocked. I mean, it's a great steakhouse. Like, trust me, I love it. I've been there. Big VYA fan. But like, he didn't, he has like nothing to show for his name because like, I think some random person in his family was managing his money. It's like, you're not a financial, you're like, you don't do this. And you love your, you love your player and your family, but like you're ultimately hurting them by not engaging with someone who's an expert in the field. So. Right. When I was in Chicago, they basically had a, you know, we would be in OTAs, all that stuff. You'd get there at six and then all the, uh, all the veterans could leave at like 12 or one. Uh, and then this is before camp, but then we're the uh, new, you know, the rookies you're there until four doing extra meetings and extra practice or extra weights or whatever. And then there's like an hour meeting every day. It's like a rookie meeting. It's like how to be a pro. And they have people come in and, talk about what what kind of financial questions you need to ask when you're dealing with a financial advisors and what kind of people you need to deal with if you're going to look at like getting a marketing person yeah you know what's a scam what's not and they're going to have to start doing that in college yeah. uh and i'm sure there i'm sure there is a big push for that already uh it uh, at, at the larger collegiate level you know at the larger colleges 
So it's, uh, it'll be interesting. Yeah. I'm actually probably going to do a little bit of that and go talk to UT athletics myself. Like that's something that came out of it. Cause I just was, you know, all these things that you and I just talked about. I mean, I can, I won't, we'll move on to more, uh, O-line and, and pro stuff, but like, yes, I am obviously very passionate about it. And I just, I think it's so important for these guys to get paid, but I'm like, man, I just know that this industry has a nasty, nasty dark side that, uh, you know, taking advantage of kids is just not cool. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Anyways, okay, so Meg and I have talked about this a lot. You know, listen, in, in, in Dallas, we've historically in the 90s had, you know, the Great Wall. And then when you had the guys mm-hmm. like Travis Fredericks and Zach Martins and Lyle Collins, Tyron Smith, like we, even Doug Free when he was in the building, like it was, we were spoiled, right? Like we had the Great Wall 2.0 in terms of our O-line and it's never been a, a cause for concern. But uh, I will tell you uh, in recent years, last year was a hot mess. We had like, I don't even know how many combinations of O-line this year, you know, we've got Lyle Collins. So we've got, he's got suspensions for five games. Um, and then there's, there's just been a lot of, of, of turnaround and you've got a new center in Biotish, but it feels like it's just, it's kind of, dare I say, a bit of a point of contention for us at times. So I'd love to get your thoughts and your opinions. You were a right guard. Um, you know, what, when you talk about moving players around on the O-line, is it as easy to make the transition from like guard to tackle like, like Zach Martin did last year, or is that just way different in terms of position and way more complicated than we think it is. And when people are talking about, well, Biotis isn't playing well, so let's sub out, you know, Connor Williams, even though he did play center a little bit of Texas, I mean, he hasn't been playing that role for several years now, especially at the pro level. Like, is that really an easy fix as people like to make it out to be? So it's, it's pretty different for, you know, for the person, right? And I think a lot of it depends on the build of the player. And so, you know, for me, I played center and guard in college, and it was pretty easy for me to go from left guard to right guard or from guard to center. Some guys, if you go, some guys can go guard to tackle, but only they only can do it on the right side because it's kind of like, trying to write with your, you know, trying, trying to write with your left hand or something. If you switch sides after you've, you're pretty ingrained. Some guys have no problem going from left to right, but you bump them out to tackle. And all of a sudden, like I, I didn't have a problem going from left to right. My issue was if I had to play tackle or something, we were in trouble because I've got short arms. Those guys are, are faster than defensive tackles. Yeah. So I can get back, you know, even if I get back there on time, it's just, you know, the, there's so many little things you have to be so good at uh, to be a good tackle versus it's a lot easier for a tackle to move in and play guard than a guard to move out and play tackle. So Zach Martin is an animal, right? He, he can do it. The guy is a stud. Most people, most guards especially, aren't going to be as great moving as a tackle. It's going to be more challenging. And then it's like, if you're a right side specialist and then you get tackle, that's asking a lot. Now moving guard to center, that's a little that's that's less of an ask in my opinion. But that also depends on the scheme because the center on a lot of schemes, the center controls a lot of protections and stuff. And so if you're not there mentally, it could be even though you might be a bit of a better player, you might not if you can't think as quickly you know, pre-snap and then react the way you're supposed to, it might be better to 
leave a guy who may be a lesser athlete but knows what he's doing. So I think one of the most concerning things that Cowboys fans saw last week was, you know, Tyler Biotister Center got just completely blown off the line. And obviously it was a fumble in the end zone recovered for a touchdown by Philadelphia. And, you know, that was just salt in the wound that it was our division rival, but especially a guy like that coming out of Wisconsin. Like, I think, I think there's a lot of like Travis Frederick syndrome with him where they're like, Oh, he's mm-hmm. be able to be the, the man. So right. I, I'd love to, like, is that, do you think that's a super cause for concern? Like at this, when it feels like, but also like, let's have some perspective. He's literally only started seven games in the NFL. Like he only came in last year when Joe Looney wasn't able to play. So it's not like this guy is a seasoned vet who you're like, what is happening? I'm not even sure it's realistic for us to say that he has developed fully into the pro player that he could be. Yeah. I mean, I would say that, and I, I haven't watched a, I haven't watched any film or anything. So this is just from, this is just my opinion from the, the knowledge I have at hand, but I would say, especially with COVID this last year and everything, all the limitations on OTAs and all season workouts, I would say that the, and it's, it is early in the season, you know, it's the coming up on the fourth week. Right. So I would say that it's kind of a couple bad plays may not as catastrophic as they might look on TV define the whole game and I didn't you know I can't really at this point I can't really like get into football I can't watch football that closely or else I get like way too like hot like bought in and like hot and like stressed <laughs> out like Meg. you know I, I turn into like yelling at the mm. TV and everything and then I'm like you know I I kind of I'm a much more casual observer at this point but uh, not relate to you. Well, yeah. <laughs> I have, I'm usually like cooking barbecue during the game. So I, you know, I, I start getting a little too hot. I have to go walk out and go check on the pit or something, take a breath. Cause I will, uh, I will go down the rabbit hole, but I, I just think it's, it's tough when you're coming in and repl- when you're trying to keep up such a off an offensive line with so much clout and so much history. Right and you still got some of those guys and you're trying to plug and play other pieces to kind of take up the slack of the guys who have left. And that's tough in itself. And then, you know, I didn't watch the game, but if the guy just got beat a couple of times on some bad plays, that happens. And since most of the time you're not paying attention to an offensive lineman, unless something catastrophic happens, that's usually what people remember and pay attention to and that can color their perception of an offensive lineman that being said with all the other things and that you have a young player I definitely think there's a lot of room for him to reach his potential and everything and it's not like it's I doubt it's a physical thing coming from Wisconsin I'm you know you've seen and played against very high highly talented people you've been a part of really uh awarded and well-recognized offensive line units so, you know, it's not a it's not a physical thing. It's just maybe being, you know, just got caught in a bad position or something. So I, I lean more towards giving the benefit of the doubt to the guy. Okay. Well, I think I personally can do that. I'm a little I, I'll be honest <laughs> with you. I was a little scarred last year. Um the Terrence Steele, I was not, I was like, what is happening? But then watching right. him, 
be able to come back from, you know, a nice off season. Obviously he did a lot of work. Like he's actually had himself a really great year. So I'm thankful for um, your calming words that we don't have to throw in the towel on Tyler just yet. And I feel like the added perspective matters in light of the fact that even though it was a big play and we're all like, what was that? I mean, again, like we have to like chill Pump the brakes, people, is basically what we just heard. So I still got my eyes on them, though. (laughs) There's plenty. There's plenty of guys out there, offensive linemen, who guys who are ten year vets, and you look at them and watch them play, and you're like, these guys are not that athletic, but they know how to get in the way, and they know how they know all the tricks, and they watch enough film, and then you see guys that are gifted superior. They're superior athletes, and they can either dominate or they can be very middling guys and go the right scheme. So there's so much, there's so much kind of hit or miss out there on the offensive line. But I think that, you know, you've got, you've, you've got a lot of talent on that offensive line and it might just be, it might not be clicking with the scheme. You know, it might, there's not, might not be running the ball enough. I haven't paid attention that closely. Oh God, to don't that, tell the Cowboys. That. I just know. I just know Zeke hasn't been uh, getting as many fantasy points as he needs to. <laughs> My mentions so, are screaming already. <laughs> That's incredible. Um, wow. I am just like, this was amazing. I knew you were going to be good, but I was not prepared for the wealth of knowledge that you are, my friend. So, um, I'm just giving you a heads up. I'm probably going to text you separately because I want to keep talking about NIL. I think it's. So oh fun. yeah, sure. Um, and get your thoughts, but uh, where can the good people of Cowboys nation find you? Are you, are you open to follows on social media? I don't want to be like pubbing your channels. If you don't want a bunch of Cowboys fans. Oh anymore. yeah. I, uh, I'm on Instagram at just Blake Blackmar. Same thing on Twitter. Uh, I mostly nowadays I work in nine to five and I cook a lot of barbecue talk football sometimes i have a tailgate at baylor i'm doing some stuff at with uh, a baylor radio station getting a uh, you know get, getting a youtube channel started because i love cooking that much so uh i'm, I'm definitely kind of get dipping my toe into the to the media world a little bit at this point let's go all right guys so make sure you follow blake for barbecue tips baylor football and just football talk in general thank you so much blake for joining us we really do appreciate sure. it Maybe we'll run a uh, Cowboys tailgate sometime soon. Oh, I am so down. I am here for the barbecue. Um, So guys, make sure you subscribe to the blog and the boys channel, wherever you find your blog, your podcast, excuse me, whether that's Apple iTunes or Stitcher. We're also on YouTube as well. You can follow Megan. I, I am on Instagram at Hey Kelsey Charles. And I'm also on Twitter at Kelsey underscore Charles. And Megan is. At Meg Murray with four R's on everything. Um, in the spirit of cooking things and barbecuing, since we just definitely cooked the birds this week, this feels like an appropriate <laughs> um, ending for us. Uh, Blake, we always end our show, and I'm sure you'll appreciate this because, you know, we like to stay petty. Uh, but Megan, please leave the people with what they want. Dallas forever. Philly for never. Birds are not real. (laughs) Bye, guys.